some fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past Read that comes to life. Hillbillies with a knack for everything that goes bump at night. Overthinking if you by yourself, these two will have you turning on the lights. Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right. Hey, welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now here's your hosts, Jerry and Tracy Paul, Heather Dog Ninja, and sometimes their cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hey guys, welcome to episode 341 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Alright, so this is going to be um, a short introduction and not as much talking through us. Um, we didn't have time with the events that took place to write an entire episode this week. Uh, we had no time to write any. Not mm-hmm. even. But, I, you know, so we'll talk about that first. Uh, I want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you're in. Thank you for all that you do for us. Yes, guys. You guys are amazing angels on earth. We love you all so, so much. And we keep praying for you guys every day. Obviously, we're going to get more into this, but I also want to give an extra, extra shout out this week to our civil servants, doctors, nurses, uh, paramedics, uh, anybody in the in the field of uh, the medical field that that are constantly just come in and, and try to help us every single day. Absolutely. And I will say thank you for saving my baby's life. So we appreciate you all so, so much. And you all work hard and you deserve all the love you can get. All right. This is the part of the show, obviously, where we like to let people know that if they're struggling, whether it be mentally, physically, whatever the situation is, Please don't hesitate to reach out to someone. Um, the group is fantastic for that. Uh, Tracy and I are usually fantastic for that, but I am going to ask that maybe you give us a week or so to um, deal with everything that we're dealing with right now in our own personal lives because there's just uh, a lot to take in, a lot to change, and it's not that we don't want to help, but we kind of have our hands full right now. So um, if you can lean on the group uh, or the 988 number over the next mm-hmm. week, that will give us a little bit of time to at least focus on on uh, some stuff at home, and then uh, we'll be back to our normal selves, I would say. Sounds good. Okay, so we're going to play. We, we've got a good show for you lined up. We're going to play a bonus that we did from back in September of last year. It's on uh, some Pennsylvania hauntings, and I really like these stories. So this is one that I knew eventually would make it on the main feed. I just didn't know it would make it so soon. And then I've got an interview that is absolutely incredible with uh, Richard Serrett from Strange Planet. He also co-hosts, <laughs> as funny as this is to say, he co-hosts Coast to Coast mm-hmm. AM, and which I was laying in a hospital bed listening to last night, mm-hmm. him co-host the show. Yeah. Because he was the, the host last night. Um, so we're, there's not going to be any kind of middle talk or Patreons or... Yeah, an ending that we're just basically we're going to wrap this up you can tell my voice is kind of shot um and but we just kind of want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up what's going on still give you an episode that most of you haven't heard and none of you have heard the interview with richard and richard has a ghost story paranormal experience i should say 
at the end of of his uh, time that it may be my favorite story that anybody's ever told on this show. Oh, wow. So absolutely love it. And it freak, I've heard it before and it freaks me out and I got him to tell it. And <laughs> it's uh, it's awesome. So you guys are going to like this. So we'll, we'll cover real quick kind of what happened. Um, last Sunday, we recorded our show early so we could watch the uh, Cincinnati Bengals football game. Right after the game, um, I guess probably 1030 or so. I had asked Tracy to scratch my back. I laid down on the bed on my stomach. I felt the room swim a little bit. And apparently I must have, for a couple of seconds at least, kind of blacked out and fell off the bed and tried to get up and then back down again. It was like a scene out of Rocky or something from my understanding. That's how good my back scratches are. Yeah, pretty incredible. <laughs> she put me in a hospital for seven days. What a back scratching. But... um. I'd, I'd never really had something like that happen. I'd been experiencing a few things that led me to believe that I might have some uh, heart issues coming back, and I had every intention of getting it checked out, but that kind of expedited it. And uh, I tried to go to bed, and uh, Tracy wouldn't let me. She forced me to get up and get dressed and go to the hospital, which we did. And turns out that earlier in the week... I think they don't they don't have it pinpointed, but I think there were they they say there's a heart attack that happened. I don't think it was that night, but I think it was earlier that week because I I can kind of remember when I think it was. Wouldn't anything major or didn't feel like anything major, but that just goes to show why you got to get these things checked out because sometimes they don't seem like they're major. Um long story short, spent a couple of days in the hospital waiting to do a um a heart test where they Go up through your uh, artery and your groin area and check stuff out. It's a pretty routine service. It happens all the time. I've had it done several times. Tracy's had it done several times. It's a half a percent chance of anything going wrong. And apparently when they did this on, what day was that, Thursday? Wednesday uh, yeah, or Thursday? Yeah, Wednesday or Thursday. I don't remember. It's blur. Well, today's Sunday, so it would have been Thursday, I think. They did this on Thursday. Got to give you the spill. Hey, half a percent chance anything go wrong, but we got to tell you anyway. And I guess at that point, while we were while I was on the table doing this procedure, um, I coded. I guess my heart stopped for. I think they said they did CPR for two minutes. I don't know if I was out for two minutes or if that's just how long they did CPR or how that works. But um, that was the case. I felt bad that Tracy was the only one there because I mean we literally didn't tell anybody for the most part that most of this was going on because it should have been routine. And it just didn't turn out to be routine. And that just led to another couple of days of hospital stays and a bunch of tests and um, severely bruised ribs on my part from uh, being, I guess, under the CPR deal. But uh, I know I'm extremely sore today, but uh, a lot of lifestyle changes I need to make. Not as much diet and stuff, but more medicines, more... Um, taking I, I can't go full speed uh physically like i do i mean i don't think it's going to affect anything like with what i do podcast wise or work wise but i can't go out and move you know half a ton of rocks in a day building a waterfall i don't think anymore not without sufficient breaks or i have a tendency to just go full speed all the time and uh, probably not going to be able to happen but i know it freaked tracy out and i know it freaked uh, a lot of people out when it got posted and you know I, everybody's got different ways of looking at things. 
And that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. I, I can't say that I'm sitting back and reflecting about what if, and because I haven't. I just, it didn't happen. So, you know, it, it, they fixed the problem, not fixed the problem, but it, I mean, even though I coded, they brought me right back. And to me, it's like, like do over, like it never happened. Does that sound stupid? No. To say no. it that way? No, not stupid. Um, and that's the way I always look at stuff. Everything's just a, a positive. But then I remember when we were talking to the doctor yesterday and, and, uh, I remember the doctor said something about, well, I mean, you went through a lot of trauma the last couple of days and i'm like well i wouldn't exactly call it trauma he's like you died on the operating table Mm -hmm. and i remember looking at him saying well that's kind of (laughs) harsh because i mean i don't i don't think of it like that Mm -hmm. uh even though that might technically be the way what happened and sadly i don't have any um stories of what i experienced or looking down over on the table or at myself during all this there was no near-death experience i didn't see any lights or so I basically, all I know is I woke up and got told about it afterwards. So I at least would have hoped that I had some kind of cool story out of it. But I don't. Nothing. All I got sore ribs. No story and sore ribs. That's all right with me. So anyway, that's kind of where it's at. Um, we're back. Obviously, we got to change some stuff. Tracy and I actually had a trip to Mexico planned like next week. And uh, we're obviously going to have to postpone that. Uh, it won't affect anything else moving forward as far as our live events or none of that. So none of that's going to change. But it's just it was a little too quick to go from this to uh, a trip to out of the country when you're kind of unsure how their medical care might be should you need something. So anyways, that's where we stand. Everything should be semi back to normal. But it was uh, it was a crazy week with a lot going on. Yeah. And we cannot thank you guys enough for your support. It was so overwhelming and. Honestly, I don't think I could have got through it as good as I did if you guys weren't there. And I just, honestly, we can't thank you guys enough. So you're the bestest and we love you so much. And I got to be somewhat the subject of a death hoax on the radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause, uh hmm Because our favorite show, KSR, obviously we know all those guys and go to a lot of live shows and a lot of listeners know who we are. And I guess the word had gotten out uh, to one of the uh, the hosts of the show and they get like 7 million people that listen to that show. I mean, it's like a huge, huge audience. It's a huge show. But <laughs> they they started off by saying that they had first gotten the word that I didn't make it. And then that kind of spread. And then they fig- found out that that wasn't the case. And they had some fun with it. And they didn't actually give my my real name out. They used the fake name of Paul. I guess playing off the last name of Pauly. But uh, it, was, it was funny that they actually started off their show a sports show talking about whether i did or didn't and who got the facts right and <laughs> all this and uh i don't know if you can find some type of humor out of any of this stuff that was my biggest takeaway is that was <laughs> it was kind of fun to be the highlight of our, of our favorite show even if it was uh more of a low light but <laughs> so anyways that's where we stand uh that's where we are health wise um i think everything is going to be fine moving forward like i said just got to Baby step, got to heal up a little bit. I've definitely had some damage to my heart that uh, they said my heart is operating at 25 to 30% of uh, where it should be. Now, that that number is like a pump out ratio or something, and that number is usually only like 55%. So it doesn't sound as bad as what it really is when you say that, but it is at about half of what it should be at this moment. But they're hoping some of that comes back, and if we do the right things, maybe we can get some of it back. So. Go ahead and listen to 
this episode on Haunted Pennsylvania. Listen to Richard Serrett and check out his podcast, Strange Planet. And then, uh, like I said, when that ends, it's just, yeah, there's no middle of uh, us talking about shows or any of that stuff. But there you go. We love you guys, and we appreciate everything. All, you guys were so great to us when all this stuff started breaking. There were so many people sharing the story and sending prayers and thoughts and vibes and anything that they believed in. And I, and I want to say a very big thank you for all that. I didn't get to read a lot of it right away, but I know Tracy did, and I'm sure that was a comfort to her. It was. Thank you guys so much. So We love you guys, and uh, we'll see you next week with a new episode. Listening to the Hillbilly Horror Stories Patreon bonus episode. Please welcome your host, Jerry and Tracy Pauly. Hey guys, welcome to the September 2022 bonus. Hi everybody. So Tracy, when it comes to these bonus episodes, sometimes I like to pick a couple of shorter stories to string together for one episode. And uh, we do the same for the main episodes too, but the reason why is that sometimes you just come across some really good stories, but they're just not very long. Yeah. And I don't want to not include those. And yeah, I could probably do them for a short or something, but I don't know. Anyways, today we've got two stories from Pennsylvania. One of them is fairly lengthy. But then the other one is really short. So. <laughs> so let's jump right into this first one. So we're going to go to the Lehigh Valley to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh, what a nice name. Yeah, and we're going to look at the Hotel Bethlehem. So the Bethlehem area itself is kind of a paranormal hotspot in the state. And the hotel seems to be the most haunted of all the locations in that area. Oh, Okay. It's large and beautiful. It's right in town in the uh, historic district. Now, the site that the hotel sits on was the spot where Bethlehem's very first house once stood. Interesting. It was built in 1741 by the Moravian. Um, What is that? Well, (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say Moravians? Yes. Okay. The Moravians were one of the oldest sectors of Protestants in the Christian religion. They go back to the 15th century. Wow. Very nice. So as the city started to grow, the church tore down the house and they built the Eagle Hotel on that site. The Eagle Hotel typically handled overflow of the nearby Sun Inn. So there wasn't the main hotel in town, but once the other one got kind of full. Right. They said, come on over. In the early 20th century, the Eagle Hotel was demolished. And in 1920, a gentleman by the name of Charles Schwab. Oh, that Charles Schwab? He built the Hotel Bethlehem on the same site. So Schwab wanted an elegant place that he could impress all of his um, high-profile clients. Highfalutin friends? Yeah. Since then, the hotel has changed ownership three more times. The present owners are still doing renovations to restore it to its original grandeur. Now, there are only 213 hotels and resorts listed on the National Trust's Historic Hotels of America, and Hotel Bethlehem is one of them. Well, that's good. 
And of course, it's also one of the most haunted. All right, numerous guests report similar experiences in certain rooms and in different areas of the hotel. Numerous guests report very similar experiences in certain rooms and areas of the hotel. Now, this makes the hotel a popular spot amongst paranormal investigators, as you can imagine. Natalie Bach is not only the special events manager at the hotel, she's also a hotel historian. Now, she said that every hotel has its most haunted room or rooms, and uh, that room at the Hotel Bethlehem is room 932. Here, you might see an apparition of a man at your bedside in the middle of the night. Always fun. He's been described as wearing boxer shorts and an undershirt. <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> he vanishes when you turn on the light. Also, guests have checked out after seeing him. Was package not big enough? <laughs> we don't work for Amazon, so... <laughs> Others have seen a ghostly man who asked why they were in his room. He also vanishes when the light goes on. A woman staying in room 932 went into the bathroom, turned on the light, and she saw an entirely different room. One that had pink wallpaper. Some think that this might possibly be the way that the room once was. Oh, that's cool. Days. So the room changes, it, like everything changes in the in, room. In her situation, it did. Oh, that's awesome. Other guests have reported seeing papers fly off of the desk and lights blink on and off. And, of course, the in several photos, you've got the ever-popular orbs appearing. Right, right. Now, 932 is the most haunted room, but it's certainly not the only haunted room. In some of the other rooms, the faucets turn off and on in their own accord, toilets flush, and apparitions are also seen. Phantom voices are heard. In some cases, objects are moved around all on their own. The question is always in these cases, who are the spirits? Why are they haunting the place? Some of the spirits that are believed to be there are, one, Francis Daddy Thomas. Daddy was his nickname. Okay. Not to be confused with Danny Thomas. Mm-hmm. He welcomed and attended to the visitors who came to the uh, Bethlehem back in the days. Mm-hmm. He was known for his kindness and his humor. His voice has been... Uh, his spirit has been sighted down in the boiler room area. Then you've got Miss Bong. Like B-O-N-G? Correct. Okay. She was an innkeeper at the Old Eagle Hotel with her husband until they were both fired by the Moravian Church in 1833. What the heck were they fired for? Well, apparently the church was not big fans of their behavior. See, Mr. Bong liked to get drunk. And then had to be laid out on the bleachers, or the the, to the bleachers, the benches mm -hmm. there. Now, Miss Bong, now get this, the audacity of this woman. She liked to sometimes go around barefoot while she was working. Well, I guess I'd be in a hell of a lot of trouble then. <laughs> Mr. Bong apparently does not uh, haunt the place, but Mrs. Bong does. And she's often seen by the staff and the guests in the kitchen and in the restaurant, she's dressed in 1800s attire, and of course, she's barefoot. Good for her. That's how I know it's her. Good. I hope she, like, walks on all the counters, and then when they're asleep, she sticks her feet up in their face, all that good stuff. Then the next spirit we're going to talk about is Mary Yohe. She was actually born at the Old Eagle Hotel in 1866. 
She used to sing and dance for hotel guests in the lobby when she was just a little child. Very nice. The Moravians sent her to Paris to learn opera. They thought so much of her. Opera? Well, I mean... Barf. In the early days, that was probably... Mm, that's not acceptable. By 1888, she was famous not only for her stage work, but for her torrid romances. Ooh, do tell. In the 1890s, she went to England. She fell in love with Lord Francis Clinton Hope. He was famous for the Hope Diamond. you probably heard of that. The one on Titanic? That was not the Hope Diamond, was it? Yeah. It was just some blue thing. No, it was the Hope Diamond, didn't you pay attention? No, I didn't. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because the Hope Diamond still exists, so it's not the ocean somewhere. That movie was all fake. Uh I don't even think there was a ship called Titanic. (laughs) Anyways, they eventually got married. Mary would often wear the Hope Diamond. And, And, of course, the Hope Diamond has always been rumored to be cursed. So did it doom her marriage? Well, something did because she ended up leaving the Lord for an American soldier, who later, in turn, left her. (laughs) So she she left this guy. Karma. She left this guy for this American soldier who turned around and left her. Anyway, Mary's ghost can be heard singing, and a player piano in the lounge frequently plays on its own. She's actually thought to be the ghost of the little girl that's seen in the exercise room up on the third floor and in the lobby. Because we remember she was obviously not a a child when she died. Yeah, so how does that work? But she used to be a child there entertaining people in the hallways, and maybe she's come back in that form. Okay. They say spirits... I didn't know you could do that. Well, they say spirits will usually show themselves to you how they felt their best. Maybe when they were happiest? Yeah, so... You might have somebody passed away in their 80s, but when you see them, it might be from when they were 40 or something. Oh, well, I kind of like that. So that could be the deal. So besides Mary, the exercise room on the third floor has some other mysterious activity. It's not a 24-hour gym, first of all, so it's closed uh, during the late night hours. So it shouldn't be so anybody So it's not there. like Planet Fitness then? No, it's not. Okay. But guests on the fourth floor have often complained about noises coming from the third floor. And it sounds as if someone is using the exercise equipment. The figure of a little girl, believed to be Mary, like I said, has been seen in the window by an engineer who was closing up for the night. Another guest wandered up from uh, an evening wedding party, and he saw a little girl in there on the equipment. So he tried to warn the little girl to get off before, you know, she hurt herself, Mm -hmm. but he said she disappeared right in front of him. Some have reports that, that sounds like weights being dropped. Now, this may be from another spirit. A gentleman named Frank Smith, a former employee that used to spend a lot of his spare time working out in the facility. Well, good for him. I guess it don't matter in the end. No, it really doesn't matter who's dropping the weights. There's still weights being dropped and still keeping people up at night. So, Anyway, Frank Smith, he had a bad run of financial luck. And one day his secretary came in and she found his suit jacket neatly folded over the office chair, which he typically sat in. Smith was nowhere to be found, and as the day went on, people started to wonder where the hell he was. Finally, the secretary had to make a photocopy, and she went to the copy machine, which was inside of a small, like a storage room or something. Mm -hmm. The door to the room wouldn't open, so she called for some help, and it was discovered that Frank Smith had committed suicide by shooting himself 
with a 357 Magnum. Oh, no. And had fallen against the door. Now, interesting. According to the forensics experts, it's unusual for a suicide victim to do what Frank had done. He had shot himself twice. It's not unheard of, but it was unusual. Well, like he shot himself in the head or? Yes, but he was shot in the leg and in the head. They think that possibly he shot himself in the leg thinking he would just bleed out. Yeah. But then when it didn't happen or maybe the pain was too much or something, he shot himself. Okay, gotcha. And then when he did, he fell into the door. Into the door, yeah. And then they couldn't open the door. That's what was. That's a shame. Yeah. Smith's widow went to court to try to collect on the insurance policy, but she lost because the death was ruled a suicide and not an accident or a crime. And back in that day, suicides automatically made your life insurance policy null and void. Is that the same for today? No, it's not today. But today, in most cases, you have to be active for two years. Once Once you've had the life insurance policy for two years, suicide will pay off. Huh. But in the first two years, it typically won't. I wonder why they changed that rule. Well, they changed it because people had paid in years and years and years mm-hmm. on a policy, mm-hmm. and then it wouldn't pay off. Yeah. And it kind of, I mean, and I understand why people would say, well, I mean, it shouldn't pay off if you take your own life. But the reality of it is it's still a financial uh, investment. And if you put all that money into it, you should get that money back. And they shouldn't be able to null and void it. So, and I think that's what it, that's, uh, somebody ended up taking it to court and, and that ended up getting changed based on that. And yeah. the reason that they've changed it to a two-year policy or the two-year um, time limit time limit before is they say that, you know, the reason initially is because, hey, they didn't have any time limits on it. Mm-hmm. But then people that were planning on committing suicide would go take out a policy and then commit suicide. Uh-huh. And so what they've discovered through all their... Um, statistics and and uh, polls and stuff like that is the person who commits suicide are usually going to do it within three months at a time that they make their decision to do it and usually if somebody commits suicide after two years they had no that wasn't the intention on it to get the policy okay i Not see i see later. what you're saying so that's just a way of making sure people don't take a policy out only for that purpose that's sad all the way around it is his ghost appears as a man in a suit and he has startled the hotel staff on many occasions. <laughs> I bet. But he does show up in that exercise room. If you stand at the lobby late at night, you may notice that the elevator coming to the first floor, which was uncalled, it just comes on. Oh, its own. it just comes on its mm-hmm. own. You might also feel like you're being watched, or you can see shadow figures walking around, especially along the railing of the balcony, which is right above the lobby. A previous chef who once worked at the uh, kitchen, he got kicked by an invisible force while he was in the kitchen. Well, he needs to prepare that food right. Yeah, maybe he was just hungry. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Down in the basement, there are massive boilers that heat the hotel. Or at least that's the purpose of them. A spirit of a man wearing a triangular hat is frequently seen by the staff. This figure is usually seen in the wee hours of the morning. And it's said that he's very spooky and he moves really fast. Why would a, what would a triangular hat represent? Well, in, in sometimes 
Um, I'm getting ready to get to that. Sometimes, though, he taps people on the shoulders and he makes many of the employees feel really uncomfortable. And most of them don't want to go down to the basement. But he also never leaves the basement. He's only seen in the basement. No kidding. Wonder why? Well, it's believed that he is from the colonial times, possibly one of the early in, or, uh, early Moravian settlers. Okay. So his hat would be kind of a, almost like a religious type hat in a triangle. Oh, well, that, that makes sense. In the administration offices, staff have often heard whistling, and they notice that the blinds moving on their own, even when there's no fans or anything mm-hmm. on. Objects on their desks have been witnessed moving on their own. Shadow figures show up on the security monitors. And last but not least, the third floor has cold spots and unaccountable breezes. And up on the mezzanine, there was a guest up there who once said that she felt the pressure of a sad girl about three years old. The little girl was dressed in a white dress, and she was kind of peeping through the railing. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then others have also saw a uh, have also seen, I should say, a similar-looking girl playing in the halls. But how about that? Very interesting. Sounds like a happening place. Anyways, that's the story of the Hotel Bethlehem in Pennsylvania. Good it sounds story. pretty haunted, don't it? Uh-huh. It does to me, yeah. <laughs> okay, this other story is much shorter, like I said, than the first one. But we're going to shift gears and go to Gettysburg. All right. Now, this is a story you probably have never heard of. This happened, well, in your case. I know, I've never heard any of it. Any of them. <laughs> but, I mean, most people probably have not heard this one. Now, this happened at Daniel Lady Farm. The farm is like most of the um, private farms and, and homes in Gettysburg. It was turned into a hospital for the Confederate wounded back during the Civil War. The stone house and the barn were used as Confederate field hospital. General Edward Allegheny Johnson, who was a division commander at the time, he used the stone house of the uh, Daniel Lady Farm as his division headquarters. His division had 1,269 wounded soldiers. That is a lot of people. Several burials were also made on the site. The 140-acre farm is now owned by the Gettysburg Battlefield Preservation Society. Now, it's not open to the public, but it can be accessed through some specially arranged tours. And one of the groups who do that we're going to talk about on here, but... How come they're not open to the public, I wonder? I don't know. Just like a respectful thing, I guess, maybe? or Either that or they just don't have the staff to, oh, to mess do with it. it. The front room in the old house actually served as the operating room when it was a hospital. There's blood stains that are still on the floorboards, and they can't get them up. They've tried and tried them. It's years and years now. Wow, which, no way. Which we've heard that about the uh, Perryville Battlefield. Yeah. I, I know they yeah. talked about that there's blood stained on, on almost every house up there from Civil War still. But anyway, apparitions have been seen in this house and EVP activity is really high. Out in the barn, the wounded or the dying, either case, were laid in rows on the ground out there. So paranormal investigators have seen ghostly soldiers as well as a figure in white moving amongst them. One of the investigators who witnessed this was Rosemary Ellen Guiley. We've talked about Rosemary Mm -hmm. Guiley. So 
She was here on one visit with Medium Lane Go uh, Gooseby. Now, Rosemary said that she felt as if the figure in white was an angel of death who was actually ministering to the dying people out there. She said that it was a very moving situation, but it was a chilling experience all the same. But that's not the strangest of things to happen here. Maybe the strangest thing to ever happen in Gettysburg happened at this location. One afternoon, Mark Nesbitt, who is also a paranormal investigator, he runs Nesbitt Investigations. You can actually contact them and they can get you uh, a tour of the place. Oh, okay. That's who you, That's need, who you need to get in touch yes. with. Okay. But he received a phone call from the caretaker down at the Lady Farm. And um, he said, Mark, if you want to see a paranormal event happening right before your eyes, come on out. So Mark grabbed all of his equipment. And within a few minutes, he was at the door knocking. Caretaker opens the door and he just said, I'm not going to say anything. We're just going to go on in. So they walk into the front room that used to be the operating room, remember? And mm -hmm. right in front of the fireplace where the operating table would have been during that time, there were four or five long rust-colored streaks of liquid flowing from the middle of the floor towards the fireplace. There was a clear serum of some type that was separate from them. Around that serum were rust-colored drops that looked like they were starting to crystallize. So Mark Nesbitt was trying to make some kind of sense of it, thinking that maybe there was a pipe that had burst, but there were no signs of that anywhere you know, above, no mm -hmm. sign of a leaking from the roof, nothing coming underneath yeah, the floor. Yeah, because that's what you would think of, for sure. Right. So Mark measured the, the, the streams of uh, whatever that was. He took video and pictures of them. And like you said, he said they were about five or six feet in length. So it's four or five of them, they were five or six mm -hmm. length in, in, uh, or feet in length. He dipped a tissue into the liquid and he put it in a plastic bag. So the caretaker had to get back to work. So he left. Mark had to leave, too. He didn't get to stay behind. Oh, he didn't, so yeah. He's like, hey, I got to go work, so you got to go, too. Two hours later, he gets a call saying that the liquid and the marks had completely disappeared. So Mark came back, and sure enough, it was gone. It was There was just a thin layer of dust remaining so did he still have his tissue yes. soaked and it still stayed there? Yeah. So well, the, yeah, the the liquid that was on the tissue got sent to a one, uh, one of the top forensics labs in the country. And about 3 weeks later the result came back, it was human blood. <gasps> Mark said that no one can explain it. And to this day there are blood stains all over that floor that cannot be gotten out, but this didn't leave a stain. Not only that, was there no stain, but there was a layer of dust that wasn't there before, almost like time had went in reverse. Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. So there you go. Human blood. Wow. It reminds me of the San Pedro poltergeist where they had the, the liquid that was dripping down From, yeah. the cabinets mm -hmm. and stuff like that, and that turned out to be human blood. Oh, my gosh. Or plasma, gosh. I think is what it was. And, just to, and, then, and then it's just gone. Gone. That is amazing. Wow, I'd love to see that. 
I mean, does it come back all the time, I wonder? It's a one-time thing as far as I know. No way. Yeah, one-time thing. And that guy just happened to be there and catch it. From- and, and there's dust and stuff there. It's like you would thought that the, if it was gone, the dust would be gone. I mean, it's not like somebody could sit there and clean it up and then there'd still be dust there. Not a thin layer. I mean, you could yeah. see if somebody threw dust back over it or something. But That's very interesting. That's very cool. So, there you go. Nice. Good story. There's right. a couple of stories from Pennsylvania. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we love you guys. Love y'all. Hey, guys, I am excited and actually honored to have this next guest on. I've got Richard Serrett on. He's the host of Strange Planet, amongst a bunch of other favorite things that that I've enjoyed over the years. So first and foremost, thanks for coming on, Richard. Hey, Jerry, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I, I love having you on the show. I love that you gave me a chance to be on your show. That was a big thrill. Obviously, you're a guest host for Coast to Coast. That's uh, that's a show that I've grown up the past 35 years of my life listening to. And uh, we've got a lot of friends that are guest hosts on that show. But I'll be honest with you, you're my favorite guest host. That wow, thank you very much. That means a lot because I'm in pretty uh, I'm in pretty good company. They're all great, and I'm it's a it's um quite a platform and quite a legacy, as you know, as you said, 80, uh, 35 years going back into the, uh, the 1980s with the late great Art Bell. So just to be a small part of that for me is just a huge thrill. Yeah. Like I said, you do a, a fantastic job on there. Uh, of course, I've seen you on a bunch of TV shows. William Shatner's uh, Weird or What, it was on there. Uh, you've done some uh, the National Park Mysteries and, and yes. a bunch of other things. What do you like better? Do you like doing uh, radio? You've done a bunch of syndicated radio shows. You've got podcasts that you've had for years, a bunch of video podcasts and television. What do you like the most or you just like them all because they're different mediums? I, I have to say that live radio is probably at the top for me just because of the immediacy, the connectivity, knowing that you you're reaching out to someone in real time and uh, they're out there listening, especially late night audiences and live radio, because I'm at, I imagine someone maybe sitting in a family room and it, it it's dimly lit. Uh, maybe they've got a, a, a radio close by. And uh, I know that's kind of a, an archaic reference people listen now on their tablets and their and their phones but i'm kind of old school and so in my mind's eye i'm thinking about a you know like a countertop uh radio and because it's late night and and everyone else maybe is asleep and the dog is snoozing by the fireplace i have that person's undivided attention uh so there's nothing like a live late night audience uh, they are they're so dialed in and, and engaged. It's because I also do an afternoon drive show and afternoon drive. It's a very quick, fast paced. And, um, you know, you're on this clock and you've got to get to the news and you've got to at a certain time and so forth. And people might be listening in their car because it's the afternoon drive home show. So they may have three other people in the car and you're competing with everything else. Uh, so the, the audience is not as engaged. So I prefer the I prefer live radio. A television, uh, I've I've dabbled in a little bit. I did a a, a pilot for the Discovery Channel uh, back in 2013, and it never went to series. But that was kind of a a, a thrill. 
uh, first of all, TV pays better, <laughs> uh, but also there's a, you know, there's a little bit of travel involved. You get to see new places that, uh, I mean, I've worked on the road in another capacity and and living in hotels out of a suitcase can grow, uh, you know, old pretty fast. Uh, but there is kind of that initial thrill of going to a new place and, you know, there's, uh, you know, 14 people in the crew versus radio where it's just, you know, me and the microphone and these discarnate voices out there. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, Jerry, I think live radio. Now, Richard, I think it's safe to say that you have made a career in a lot of uh, conspiracy talk. Uh, I know you, you've had shows going back 12, 13 years ago, back to, uh, I think it was called conspiracy story uh, or something similar to that. I can remember, uh, you know, watching some videos and stuff from, from yeah. way back, but you've been doing this a long time on, on primarily that angle. What, yeah. what is your fascination with conspiracies? Uh, actually I started, um, in 2000. So about 23 years ago, I started and, and, um, I had a, a Sunday night show on a big, uh, 50,000 watt station in Toronto and um, basically I was, I had two hours to fill and I, I wanted to uh, do something a little different. I produced talk radio at the same time. So I was, you know, doing current affairs in the news. And I mean, I knew about Art Bell then and I listened a little bit. Um, but they're really, I, I thought that was a really um, underserved niche market that other than Art Bell, nobody was talking about sort of the the news behind the news or what's really going on. And, and so I started introducing elements of conspiracy and the paranormal bit by bit. And then gradually it just kind of took over the show because people were so interested. And of course, then nine 11 happened and that changed everything and it kind of took over. Um, so as to, I guess, working in mainstream media and covering sort of the official narrative of things left me wanting more. I always felt that, okay, so this is the official story, but what's really going on? And is it possible to know what's really going on? And, 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 uh, you know, who benefits? And I think at, I think at heart, all journalists should be in a way a cons conspiracy theorist and just the way all homicide detectives, for example, are really conspiracy theorists, because as soon as you have more than one person involved in something, that's a conspiracy. So the homicide sure. detective is asking himself, all right, you know, well, it, it, to get into a bit of a kind of a true crime thing, uh, you know, oh, it, well, it looks like a suicide, but wait a minute. What about, you know, this person who was the last person to see him and his story is kind of inconsistent and it's, he seemed kind of nervous. And then you, they dig a little bit further and wait a minute, he was meeting with somebody else the night before and, you know, they're trying to piece things together and ultimately it, it, it might lead to a conspiracy and conspiracy is a, is a legal term, right? We, the, the courts lay thousands and thousands of criminal conspiracy charges every year. And so, um, I guess that's kind of my, my, my initial motivation for getting into it, that, that the conspiracy aspect of it. Um, and when, as I say, when 9-11 happened, there were just so many 
uh, loose threads, things that were just kind of glossed over, you know. Oh, okay, so they found a passport belonging to one of the hijackers in pristine condition at the base of the North Tower. Okay, so what? Let's just move on. Well, no, no, I don't I don't want to move on. <laughs> I want to find why is that passport in pristine condition like it was left there deliberately for someone to find it and pick it up and say, aha, it was just a little too neat. And so um then you know, for for this generation, that was um kind of our JFK moment, really, you know. Uh after JFK, that spawned a whole generation of amateur sleuths trying to figure out, well, wait a minute. They said the shooter was from, from behind and up six stories, but look at the movement of JFK's head. It, I, I think he was shot from, you know, from the, the front or the side, you know, let's look at that Zapruder film again, you know, uh, and then the term conspiracy theorist was born. Some suggest, I don't know that this is hundred percent true, but the theory was that the CIA all of a sudden realize, wow, people are, are not buying the uh, the Warren report. Um, we need to come up with a name to discredit these people. Let's call them conspiracy theorists. And the term was born. So, uh, yeah, 9-11 was kind of our JFK. And then and maybe before that, Princess Diana's assassination. But what it did was it opened up. Now we started to question everything. Well, if they weren't giving us the whole story here, what about here and here and here and here. And um, so, yeah, that's that's how it really began for me. You know, recently, and, I, and I'm sure you're obviously aware of this with the, uh, the field that you're in, but recently stuff is starting to come out about CIA's possible actual involvement now in, in JFK's death. And what do you think about the fact that some of these records are just held classified for 60 70 years if that that almost leads you to believe they are trying to hide something you know same thing with the ufo records which i know you touch on a lot with uh strange plan as ufos i mean what are your thoughts on the government keeping these records classified for so many years uh well i i come to the same conclusion that, that you do jerry that somebody is desperately trying to hide something uh now, just about everybody associated with the JFK administration uh, or anyone who knew Lee Harvey Oswald, I mean, they're if they're not dead, they're on <laughs> death door. So um, I'm not sure if they're trying to protect they. Who, who are they? Uh, is it one of these alphabet intel groups? I don't know. Um but who are they trying to protect? Are they trying to protect someone's legacy, perhaps? Maybe they're dead, but they don't want to taint their legacy. Uh, or are they trying to preserve some semblance of faith in a particular institution? Whether it's the, the FBI, the CIA, the office of the president. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But I think even without the benefit of having all of these documents released, and I, I won't live long enough to see them. And who knows, in another 40 or 50 years, may, maybe someone will make up another excuse and they'll kick that can down the road for another 25 years. Who knows? Um, but um, I think we know enough now, at least I, I feel confident that we can really start to begin to piece the whole thing together that, you know, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, if he was in fact a shooter, didn't act alone, uh, that there may have been 
four, five, six shooters. Heck, maybe everybody in the presidential motorcade except for Jackie Kennedy and and Lady Burt Bert Johnson had a gun that day because they were lined up, you know, three deep uh, to take a shot at JFK. People forget, you know, he was in Texas. He was not um, he was not their favorite son. That's for sure. The CIA had grievances with him. The oil barons had grievances with him. Uh, the the South Vietnamese had uh, grievances with them. Um, I don't know. You could make an argument that Castro's uh, henchmen had a organized crime. Sam Giancana and company had a grievance with them. So um, there were there were a lot of people and a lot of organizations with with motive to kill JFK. While we're on the subject of uh, of newer things coming out about JFK, you've also got the government more involved than ever in releasing UFO information. Is this a, an area that you thought would never actually happen, or are you surprised at how fast it started to move once things started to come out a couple of years ago? Yeah, I would have to say um, I was pretty skeptical that we would ever get this far. Uh, up until, I guess, December 2017, like a lot of people. And and when that New York Times article came out with Leslie Kane and um, um, the Pentagon um, uh, correspondent, was it uh, Blumenthal? Can, uh, so. Yeah. When that came out, talking about when this whistleblower came out, um, talking about the uh, ATIP the Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Project, the secret compartmentalized project within the Pentagon. Um, Elizondo, who wasn't happy with the way information was being released and the secrecy and so forth, and he blew the whistle on this project that he was in charge of. Uh, it, I mean, that kind of information on its own isn't surprising, but that it would appear in the New York Times, which is officially you know, the paper of record, not that it is anymore, but that's another story, but the, that it would right. appear in all places like the New York times. And then there would be kind of follow-ups and a little bit of a back and forth in the New York times. Um, and that really, I think changed the whole, the tone of the conversation. All of a sudden now newspapers weren't talking about little green men uh, and, and treating the whole UFO UAP subject with their tongue firmly planted in their cheek now they were, they were employing a, a degree of, you know, there was actual journalism. They were treating the subject um, with, with seriousness. It was a real sea change in the attitude. So that was, that was a big thing in 2017. And then, then when we started to see um, U.S. Uh, congressmen taking interest and start asking questions. Uh, and then we had the, um, was it the, um, um, some Pentagon official recently back in May spoke before the um, House of Representatives and really kind of did a, I thought it was just a, what do you call it? A, a song dog and dance. pony show. Yeah. Dog and pony show. Just <laughs> didn't have a clue. Didn't have a clue. What are you talking? Nu nuclear or UFOs over nuclear missile sites. I don't know anything about that. Uh, just, you know, feigning complete ignorance. That was just kind of a, a, a joke. And, and then I thought, oh, okay, is that, is that the way they're going to play this? Yeah, they're going to, they're going to play along. They're going to show up at the hearings, but they're just going to blow smoke. So, um, and then we waited, of course, for the, um, the um, 
the annual report for the from the uh, the office of the director of national intelligence, and that was supposed to come out in October, and it didn't in November and December. And I thought, okay, they're not taking this seriously at all. Then finally, when it came out a couple of weeks ago, what was it? Eight pages, yeah. eight pages, and they looked at 300, 300 U, uh, UAP reports, and basically they dismissed them. That well, they're Chinese lanterns, they're garbage, they're plastic bags, they're this, they're that. So there's a real battle, I think, going on uh, right now behind the scenes. I think there are people. Uh, um, oh, but. I should point out, though, I think a, a, a pretty significant development, though, was the establishment of um, that arrow, um, all domain anomaly um, resolution office. I think the creation of that particular department could uh, provide some interesting results because one of their first witnesses or uh, uh, is is Robert Salas, who was. Um, uh, an eyewitness to the the UFO incursion over the Malmstrom Air Force Base when you know they this UFO basically took these nuclear missiles offline, shut them down. So that's I think one to keep an eye on what's happening over at Arrow. Uh, so I think there's though there is going to be this this battle backstage. Um, there'll be some within Intel and the military that that want to push more for disclosure and, and others that don't. So uh, it'll be interesting to watch that battle. What come, what, you know, this backstage battle, but sometimes some interesting things I think are going to tumble out on stage for, for public consumption. And then, you know, then the curtain will quickly fall, you know, nothing to see here, folks. I missed it. Uh, most of it. So I caught the tail end of, of something yesterday where like I said, I don't have all the details, but I, I guess the Speaker of the House, McCarthy, is has introduced some type of a bill. But part of that bill, if it gets passed, is to release everything the government has on UFOs. So I didn't get to hear what the bill, what else it contained or any of that. But I mean, it's obvious that people in uh, in politics are starting to go after that. Yeah, the the new Republican majority in the House is is interesting because they're just they're throwing a lot of things up at the wall uh, against the wall and seeing what sticks, and it's almost like they're they're to be a little bit cynical here. Um, they're basically daring the Dems, the Democrats, to vote no, and then they're using that, I think, uh, with an eye towards you know the next uh, the next presidential election or the next election cycle in two years to see, you know, now we can point to their voting records. See, they voted no on this. They voted no on this. They voted no on this. So I, part of it is, I think, a cynical political ploy. Um, however, I'll reserve judgment. You know, we'll see where that, where that goes. If, if they want to pass a bill, if it's, uh, if it, re if it's a money bill, if it requires any expenditures, I guess it'll have to go to the Senate and uh, the Dems have the uh, the majority there. Although you know the Democrats have shown um, the late Senator Harry Reid, really, uh, who is the mm -hmm. majority leader for the Democrats, he showed a great deal of interest. So it may have legs. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but this these these things take so long. A friend of mine, Victor Vigiani, who's um, a noted UFO disclosure advocate up here in Canada, he and I were having a discussion about this very thing, and. Um, you know, at the at the government level, the legislative level, if you're someone who's pushing for UFO disclosure, is that it's it's a very long and arduous path. And and he said, 
he's been told by U.S. politicians and Canadian politicians, you really, you just have to stay in your lane and you just have to keep plugging away and it's very incremental and it's painstakingly slow. Um, so I guess that's where we're at right now. I think, you know, maybe we're getting a little, well, I wouldn't say impatient. We've been waiting over 70 years for the truth. Right. But, but finally, I think at least now, um, it doesn't cut it anymore for the New York Times to ignore these stories or for uh, journalists, journalists in the mainstream media to to be dismissive or mocking about it anymore. So there has been a significant change in attitude. And now at least we're seeing hearings. I mean, back in May, that was the first hearing of any sort on, on UFOs in something like 50 years. So things have changed. Are the, you know, uh, how, where do we go from here? You know, it could be another, it could be another, uh, you know, um, well, let's take uh, the Robert Salas testimony at, at, at Arrow. Let's say it's a slow news day. We don't have too many of those anymore, but let's say someone from the Washington Post decides to cover that. And all of a sudden now you have this credible eyewitness to a UFO shutting down a missile at a uh, at an Air Force base in 1967. And that makes, you know, a front page news story in the Washington Post. And now all of a sudden you have all of these follow up questions. And now the, the, the Washington Post's Pentagon correspondent is going to follow up. And then all of a sudden you can start to, you can see how this could snowball all at once very quickly. I want to ask you about two UFO, we're going to say legends, because I don't want to use the term stories, but you, I just wanted to want you to touch base on both of these on your thoughts. Now, obviously the first one I'm going to talk about is the um, Harry Truman supposedly meeting with aliens and working out like a, uh, an agreement for for to kind of work with aliens through the years in exchange for their technology uh, and and letting them do a little bit experimenting and stuff like that do you think that's something that actually happened and if not where do you think the stories came from um i don't know about the truman one i know about the eisenhower one i said uh, i said truman i meant eisenhower i'm sorry you're you're 100% correct i don't know why i said truman um so eisenhower um Supposedly, I th he was in, I think he was in California and supposedly had this last minute. He was supposed to be at some event and then all of a sudden he didn't show up. And the official report was that he needed emergency dental care and got whisked away. And then all of a sudden the report was that where he really went was, I believe it was Edwards Air Force Base. I'm not 100% sure. And he had this secret meeting um there were pentagon officials there eisenhower was there, there there's even a a story that one of the leading um uh, i don't know if it was a bishop from the the diocese the catholic uh, bishop was in attendance or or a high-ranking vatican official was there the story kind of varies and yes they met um uh et's um whether they were the Nordic, the Nordics, or the, whether they were the Greys, again, I've heard different stories, and and yes, there was some sort of a an, an arrangement or an agreement uh, made in exchange for technology. The uh, the aliens would be permitted, uh, I guess, to to enter our um, our airspace and and uh, uh, abduct 
abduct humans and conduct experiments and and so forth. So that's that's the story, and I think it's supposed to have taken place somewhere between I don't know nineteen I think nineteen fifty four fifty five if memory serves. Um, it seems pretty fantastical to me. Uh, um, I mean, I would have to see. I would have to see uh, some some pretty I don't know what kind of evidence would 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 be suffice. I mean, what kind right. of evidence would there be? Uh, uh, a document? I don't know. I find it hard to believe. How did it? How, did, how does a story like that get started? It snowballs. I think you know you have a president that's supposed to be in one location and he's not there, and then the excuse offered that there's emergency dental work that's needed to be done. And then I don't know, maybe he's seen at Edwards Air Force Base, and people start to, you know, they start to uh, to fill in the in the dots, and um, sometimes that's where you know the imagination takes over when you're filling in those gaps. Well, Mm -hmm. then you start to speculate, and then you know, over time, the story just grows and takes on new life, and someone adds it's like this pastiche. Someone, well, but wait a second, he was also seen in the company of. this Vatican official at Edwards Air Force Base. Why would a religious figure and a political figure be meeting at Edwards Air Force Base? And why were they keeping it secret? And, you know, it goes from there. But it's it's a great story. It's a great legend. I mean, it's right up there with, um, you know, Richard Nixon. Um, that was that was Jack- my next one. That oh, was, was the it? next one I was going to ask you about. Yeah, ah, so, see, we're so on the, the same wavelength, my friend. The, the story of Richard Nixon taking Jackie Gleason down to the uh, the base in Florida, I believe it was. And showing him the aliens and how it just completely freaked out uh, Jackie Gleason. I think his uh, ex-wife ended up writing a book that that told that story. And if I I remember correctly, that's where that story came from, was from her book. Exactly. It didn't come from Jackie Gleason. And I was a big Jackie Gleason fan. I I love the reruns of the honeymooners and uh the we had you know the reruns of the Jackie Gleason show and and so forth. So I was a big fan and he was, you know larger than life and a huge by all accounts ufo buff he had a huge library uh and you know friends with with uh richard nixon so there's two two areas where the story for me kind of falls apart and one is that it doesn't come from jackie gleason it comes from his wife and it comes after i believe jackie gleason had passed and i think he passed in the nine 1990s mid nineties. Yeah. And the, the second place is um, Richard Nixon having that kind of access. I mean, all along the narrative has been sort of, you know, when we're talking about places like area 51, well, you know, Bill Clinton talked about, you know, how curious he was to know what's at area 51 and did Roswell really happen? And the story goes that when Bill Clinton first became president, he asked one of his, um, I think it was his campaign chair, who later became, I don't know, part of his transition team. I think that was Carl Hubble. He asked him, there's two things I want to know. Who killed Kennedy? And, you know, are aliens real? And uh, Hubble came back to Clinton a while later and said, you know, I got nowhere. I just, he got stonewalled, completely stonewalled. And um, and then later, I think Clinton was on one of the talk shows and talking about, you know, how... Um, he had no idea. Now he could have been lying or whatever, but everything I've come to understand about this whole 
secrecy, veil of secrecy is that not even the president knows about what's going on. So I just find it a little hard to believe that Richard Nixon, um, who, you know, was kind of seen as an outsider, um, was not particularly trusted by, you know, the CIA and other There was a lot of suspicion. Now, mind you, he was Eisenhower's vice president, so I'm sure he knew where a lot of the bodies were buried. But I, I find it hard to believe of all presidents that Richard Nixon would have had that kind of clearance and could take his pals to come and see, you know, an alien's body. I'm not to, totally discounting the fact that they have one somewhere on, on dry ice, you know, at Area 51 or Wright Pat, but Nixon taking Jackie Gleason, I don't know. Doesn't I, I, It doesn't pass the sniff test for me, but it's, a, again, a great story. I want to talk about Strange Planet. I kind of painted it as, uh, or painted you as basically talking nonstop conspiracies, but that's not exactly what Strange Planet is. There's there's some of that on there. There's UFO talk. How would you describe, for somebody who's never listened to Strange Planet, how would you describe the show? Um, well, right now it's a podcast and it's it's it has evolved uh, over the years. It started out, you know, late night radio uh, program where I, I, again, coming out of 9-11 in the early 2000s, it was, I would say, primarily uh, sort of conspiracy and 9-11. And then from there, it was, you know, long conversations with Jim Mars about JFK and RFK and MLK and, um, you know, Princess Diana. But um, uh, it, it, it evolved. I moved to different radio stations and, and um, uh, the audience, you know, kind of made it known that, um, they wanted not just conspiracies. They wanted, uh, they wanted UFOs and they wanted, I was kind of late to the whole UFO, uh, arena, quite frankly. Um, I was so focused on nine 11 and, and conspiracies and assassinations and, and, um, alternative history, you know, is this the way world war one really went down and, and so forth. But, um, I just, uh, kind of followed in part what the audience wanted and they wanted, they wanted lots of UFO talk. So then I started to talk about UFOs today. It's, it's, um, it's a podcast. I said goodbye to the uh, late night syndication, uh, a syndicated program in August of last year to focus on the podcast. And, um, I don't do as much conspiracy anymore, quite frankly, it's more, uh, paranormal metaphysical topics, certainly very, very much involved in UFOs and, and cryptozoology. Um, occasionally some conspiracy stuff. I'll tell you why though, Jerry, I have a, in addition, I have a, a an afternoon drive home show on a, a radio station here in Toronto. And um, there's, it's conspiracy has become, you know, today's headlines it's we're, we're living it now. We're seeing it. Everything that I talked about 20 years ago about, you know, the creation of a biomedical security state and, and all of these things, it, it seems to be happening. I mean, now it's gone mainstream. It's like, there are no conspiracies anymore. They're all in plain sight. So all of that stuff um, has kind of been parked on my, my daily uh, radio show on saga 960, the Richard Serrett show. And so um when I do that five days a week for two hours, I, it's pretty intense and it's pretty heavy. I need a break from that. And so now I look at Strange Planet as um, kind of an opportunity to uh, not let my hair down. I mean, it's still serious stuff. And we're talking about, you know, the potential for 
uh, right. intelligences out there in the universe and free energy and all of these things. Um, it's it's important stuff, but it's a nice break for me from all of the heaviness in in the world right now. Whether we're talking about uh, you know Russia and Ukraine and the possibility of World War Three, or we're talking about what's going on at the World Economic Forum and uh, the the creation of a central bank digital currency where they can control all of our purchases and and um, you know carbon credit cards and if we exceed our carbon footprint they cut us off so you know you're not you can't get on that plane and 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 uh, vacation in the Caribbean this year because you've exceeded your carbon footprint or no more red meat for you you've exceeded your carbon footprint but you can buy you know a pound of cricket powder if you'd like I mean this is stuff we used to talk about 20 years ago on the radio and think well sounds fantastic that's just a silly conspiracy theory now it seems like it's happening so but strange planet is yeah it's it's heavy on the paranormal um uh ufology um the the disclosure movement that's happening along with you know ufo sightings yes we talk about the lights in the sky but we also talk about the lies on the ground regarding the lights in the sky uh bigfoot life after death um a little bit of conspiracy but not not as much and that's why i wanted to bring that up because like i said but you had kind of made your uh your beginning stages were a lot based on conspiracy and so a lot of people know you for that but like i said it it had changed so i, I wanted you to paint the correct picture as to what strange planet right. is yeah i think it's still a pretty broad canvas um and also quite frankly i wanted it to be a little more user-friendly let's say because there is a segment of the of the uh, the audience um, that's, I guess, feeling the same way I do. There's so much heaviness in the world. You know, we want we want to ask some some bigger questions, more philosophical questions. You know, what if, what you know, what happens after we die? Uh, is there life elsewhere in the planet? Important questions, but also kind of at the same time a nice diversion to our reality right now, which is pretty intense. Some might even say a little bit grim. No, I 100% agree. I'm going to switch gears because I'm going to bring up a podcast of yours that I was 100% obsessed with. Ah. And it doesn't exist anymore. And and I wish so bad that it did. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Mm. That was... Uh, that was a show anybody who knows me and that listens to to hillbilly horror stories knows i'm a music freak some of the first episodes we ever covered was rock and roll and the occult and stuff like that and that that show was very short-lived i mean it probably wouldn't but 11 12 13 14 episodes maybe it, maybe it was longer uh, i did about almost 40 i think was it okay yeah it just seemed like it was so it was short lived to me because it and I just one day it just disappeared and then I couldn't even find any of the old episodes. Usually, if a podcast stops, you can still go back and find find all the old episodes. And I, it's right. just like when it ended, it was just gone. And I was like, man, I just hated that so much. I loved that show. Well, thank you, Jerry. I was very proud of it. Um, it was done more in, in a documentary style and a little bit more of a docudrama style, I guess. And we did some recreations. I really poured my heart and soul into that. We did one episode a week and uh, I partnered with Chris Jericho of, um, you know, the WWE fame. And um, we were on uh, Westwood one. And so that, that was their, their platform. So when 
I just poured so much of my time into it. And um, I just couldn't, I couldn't sustain that after almost a year of it, not quite a year uh, on top of everything else. I just realized, you know, um, it wasn't quite ready to take off in terms of monetization so that I could just, you know, throw myself into that and say goodbye to everything else. You know, being a family man, I still had to, still have to put, uh, the, you know, bring home the bacon as they say. So I had to prioritize. And again, I, I just put so much of myself into that, the writing and lining up interviews and the editing, which I loved. Um, but unfortunately I just, uh, yeah, I had to let it go. And so because it was on the Westwood one platform and I stopped doing it, they took it down. I still have the episodes and I'm still trying to figure out what I'd like to do with them. Um, you never know well, you know, one day, uh, it, it might, uh, it might resurface or maybe I'll, I'll, um, resurrect the rock and roll twilight zone. But that, um, that podcast was initially designed to be a, a syndicated radio show that I worked with, uh, the late R. Gary Patterson, who was sort of known as the Fox Mulder of rock and roll and, and was one of the first guys to write well, he wrote the definitive book on the whole Paul is Dead mystery. It was called The Walrus is Paul. And uh, Gary was a music historian and quite a musician himself and a teacher and a great guy. We knew each other for 15 years or more. And um, we were working on launching this radio program when he died suddenly. And um, um, one of the, uh, the last interviews Gary did was with Chris Jericho on his podcast. So it was... Um, it was quite a shock to me when, when Gary passed because um, I don't know if you want to, if you have time, if you want me to share this story, but. Uh, no, absolutely. I, I'm, anybody who listens to our show knows that I was a huge R. Gary Patterson fan. And actually I didn't find out he passed away until I reached out to him for a Buddy Holly episode we were doing to talk about uh, that. The, these episodes that we did in the early days, the I think the ninth episode we did and the 12th episode, I mentioned our Gary and used him as a reference on some of the stuff we did. I've got the, the Hellhounds uh, book and that, I mean, he just, he was an idol and I was devastated to find out he died. He was my all-time favorite guest on any yes. podcast that I've listened to. He is still today my favorite guest of all time. Whatever well, he, was he was on, I listened he was such a fond of knowledge. And, and again, so we were, we were going to call this radio show, the spirit of rock. And, um, we were getting close to launching on a, a station down in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is, he, he lived close by in Olive Grove, a little coal mining town, not too far from there. And, um, we talked, um, I would say the last four or five months of Gary's life as we were building this project and getting close, uh, we talked probably every day on the phone. And uh, he would update me because he was kind of pitching the the radio. We, we made a demo. Uh, it was about, the, you know, whether Jimi Hendrix was murdered. And we had Jimi Hendrix, Rhodey, and from some of the, the musicians that played with Jimi Hendrix, not in um, the Jimi Hendrix experience, of course, because they were gone, all gone, but in the, the, the band that played at Woodstock, uh, Gypsies, Gypsy Sun and Rainbows, I think it was called. Um, anyway, so... Gary died on, um, uh, it's 2017. It was May 26th. I think it was. And I remember that because that was the anniversary of the release of Sergeant Peppers in the UK, which was ironic because Gary's favorite album was Sergeant Pepper. And he talked about it nonstop 
all the Beatle, you know, all the Paul is dead clues on the cover. And we did so many episodes on that. So I, it was ironic that he passed on the 26th of uh, May, 2017, 50 years to the day that it was released. But we were talking on the phone. Uh, we talked on the Wednesday, uh, I believe it was a Friday he died. We talked on a Wednesday. I remember very cl- clearly because I was um, in, in my car sitting in a church parking lot waiting for my boys to come out from Greek school. And uh, he called me and, and said, yeah, looks like we've got the, uh, I've got a meeting with the uh, management at this station in Knoxville. It's scheduled for next Monday. And, um, and then uh, on Thursday, we didn't talk on Friday, Friday night. Um, Gary called me and um, I remember walking around. It's May. I remember walking around the house with the cell phone to my ear and I have this habit of wandering around the house aimlessly when I'm on the phone. I get, I get lost in conversation. All of a sudden I look up and I don't know, I'm in the living room for some reason. And then next thing I think I know I'm walking through the kitchen and my wife, the mighty Aphrodite is sitting there or sorry, is uh, standing in the kitchen. And my brother-in-law was visiting. He's sitting at the kitchen table. They saw me walk in with the, the phone to my ear. And then I, I walk out. And next thing I know, I'm sitting downstairs and talking to Gary. And uh, again, the focus of the conversation is this upcoming meeting on Monday that he's having with the management at uh, the Knoxville station so that we can get our show on the air. And, um, but he calls, the reason he calls to tell me, he says, he says Richard, I, I plumb forgot in his wonderful Tennessean accent, Monday is Monday's Memorial day. So there's not going to be a meeting. So, um, and I can't, I can't remember now how we left that. I don't, I don't remember asking him. It was a very strange conversation. I was in a bit of a cloud, a fog. I don't remember asking him, well, has it been rescheduled? He just, he just said it's, it's, it's not going to take place on Monday. And then he said a couple of odd things. Um, out of the blue, he just said, Richard, you're a really cool dad. I thought, okay, thank you. But where's that coming from? Why did you say that? And then he said, um, you know, Richard, you and I are a really big deal. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, that's, you know, I'm, I have a very self-deprecating sense of humor and I don't, you know, I don't like to toot my own horn. That's the thing about us Canadians. I, so I was kind of weirded out by that. And then I thought, okay, later, I think I, th- I thought to myself, that's just Gary building us up, getting us ready to, you know, cause we're going to hopefully take this radio station and, or this radio show and syndicate it. So he's building us up. He's just a, a raw, raw kind of guy. And then towards the end of the conversation, I said, um, cause it's, you know, we're heading into Memorial day weekend. I think of Memorial day weekend in the U S I think of parades and I think of barbecues, right? Everyone gets together with a family. They have a barbecue. Maybe they go to a Memorial Day parade. So I said, hey, Gary, you're going to have a barbecue. And for the first time in the 15 years I I knew Gary, he got kind of curt with me. I mean, the mood entirely changed. One minute he's saying, you're a really cool dad and we're a really big deal. And then all of a sudden I asked him about, are you having a barbecue? He said, there'll be no barbecue. Wow. Did I just step in something here? Did I just step on a grenade? What the heck is going on here? And I, okay, all right. And uh, again, now that now we're like five and a half years later, I don't remember what happened after that. Uh, but it seems to me that's kind of the way the phone call ended. And it just kind of stuck with me after the phone call ended. Why is Gary upset when I asked him 
well, there, are you going you know, to have a barbecue? There'll be no barbecue. So that was a Friday night. I know it was a Friday night because um, it was dark out. I'm looking out the windows. I remember it clearly. It was dark. Go to bed that night. The mighty Aphrodite, that's my wife. We usually go to sleep and listen to Coast to Coast. For whatever reason, that night I was, I just, I fell right asleep and I missed the entire program. And the mighty Aphrodite did too. Otherwise she would have elbowed me and said, you better wake up and listen to this. Dave Schrader was guest hosting that night. His guest was Chris Jericho. It was Chris Jericho of all people that announced on Coast to Coast that our Gary Patterson had passed away on that Friday. Because... And I didn't learn this till later, our, Gary's last radio appearance or podcast or interview, whatever it was with Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho came to Knoxville and met with Gary and they talked about, you know, the paranormal and rock and roll. And, uh, but I missed it. I didn't hear it. So I wake up Saturday morning, my regular routine, routine. I jump out of bed. Mighty Aphrodite was still asleep, grab my coffee. I go to the front uh, porch. I sit there and I check my emails and my messages I get a Facebook message from Dave Schrader, my colleague at Coast to Coast. He says, Richard, I know you were good friends with our Gary. I thought you should know in case you missed last night's show, Gary passed away yesterday. I thought, oh, come on. I just, I spoke to him last night. So my first reaction was I call Gary on his cell phone. There's Gary's outgoing message. Gary, ha ha ha, Schrader on Coast last night. He said, you're dead. Give me a call. What's going on? Well, of course, he didn't call. It was true. Gary had passed away. Um, so I still didn't believe it. Anyway, I, I ran upstairs and the mighty Aphrodite's getting out of bed and I, and she saw the look on my face. She goes, what, what, what's wrong? I said, Gary's dead. Now here's where it's interesting because I could be, it's possible I'm misremembering things. I, I don't know, but the mighty Aphrodite said to me without me prompting her, Weren't you talking to him last night? And I thought, I thought I was. He goes, yeah, you wandered through the kitchen with your phone to your ear. And I was going to ask you who's on the phone. But then I figured, oh, it's probably Gary because I'm always talking to Gary. I mean, I don't, don't want to tell tales out of school. I don't have a lot of friends that I talk with on the phone, you know? So anyway, she goes, well, what time was it? What time did he call you? I said, well, let me check the phone. You know, that recent thing on the phone where you can check, you know, your recents, who called and who did you call? So I checked, I hit recents. Okay, so there was Wednesday. Yes, uh, it was around 7.30. Gary called me. I remember that. I was in the church parking lot waiting for the boys. Come out of Greek school. We talked. Thursday, no, we didn't talk. Nobody called me or I didn't call Gary. He didn't call me on Thursday. There was maybe a, a message from my mom or something. Friday, Friday, nothing. Nobody called me. For, nobody called me on Friday. I didn't receive a call. I didn't make a call that Friday, the day that I was sure Gary called me. Anyway, I still couldn't believe it was true. So I was online frantically searching for an obituary. And then later in the day, finally, there was one, uh, the, the funeral home in Olive Grove, Tennessee, Rudolph, Gary, Patterson, 67 years old, and my heart sank because it was true. Um, so I immediately made plans to fly down there. Now, I, 
I've buried so many relatives. I've been a pallbearer probably a dozen times because all of my relatives, my, my dad's side, my dad would be a hundred next month. I mean, they were all older and they, they're, they're long gone. So I've been to so many funerals and of course I miss them all, but something about this one really hit me hard. So I flew down to, um, I flew into Knoxville and then I took a cab to, uh, I think it's called Oak Ridge, Tennessee, stayed in a hotel there. And then I took another cab out to Olive Grove, this little civil war era coal mining town took me to the funeral home. I walk in there, place is crowded, packed. Farmers with their bib overalls, just salt of the earth people. Young people, they were all past students of Gary. He inspired so many people. Place was packed. And I go in and I see this beautiful uh, metallic blue casket. And there's Gary. And in front, uh, I'm not sure what kind of a guitar he had. I think it was a, a Fender guitar, beautiful Fender guitar, and it stand in front of the casket. And I'm a pro. I'm waiting in line, and Gary's older brother Mike is standing in front of the casket, receiving people. And I'm getting kind of choked up. And I, um, I came up to Michael, and I'm introduced myself, and he grabbed my my hand harder, and then he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, "Oh, Gary." said so many nice things about you and thank you for coming all this way. And it means a lot. And, and, uh, I could barely get any words out. And, um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell him that Gary had called me last night. Um, I didn't want to get into that. I just said, Michael, excuse me. I, I, if you don't mind, I had a couple of questions. When did Gary pass? I said, I think it was about four or five in the afternoon four or five in the afternoon, late May. That doesn't, it's still light out. It was pitch black. It was evening when Gary called me. I said, okay. Um, I said the last, I didn't, I didn't explain why I asked that question. Um, and then I said, I have, I had a recent conversation with your brother and I had asked him a question and he, I just was curious to know whether I had offended him. I asked him, um, you know, are you going to have a barbecue during Memorial weekend? And I said, your brother, I, I said, I've known him for 15 years. He's never got cross with me or he was, he seemed really upset that I had asked him, are, is there going to be a barbecue? And I, he said, there'll be no barbecue. And Michael's head kind of turned and he squinted his eyes and he said, he said that to you? I said, yeah. I said, I was kind of confused. Do you have any idea what that means or why he would say that? And Michael said, he said, that's funny. He said, the day Gary died, he spent all afternoon driving around town looking for a barbecue. He spent $500 on this beautiful brand new stainless steel, I don't know, three burner, whatever, broiler king barbecue. And he said, and my son, because Michael and Gary lived next door to each other. And Michael's son, Gary's nephew, spent a lot of time together. He said, my son and Gary spent all afternoon putting that barbecue together. There will be no barbecue. He was right. There would be no barbecue. And so the best I can figure is I received a phone call from Gary hours after he passed away. Um, again, it doesn't, it doesn't, 
make a lot of sense to me. It, it seems too fantastical. Nothing like that has ever happened to me. I could be misremembering things. It's possible. And I struggled with it even to this day. It's uh, five and a half years later. And, you know, through the mists of time, things are getting a little, I don't know, um, harder to recall exactly. Um, but that's the, as the best that I can recollect, that's what happened. It, it, it's funny. We're, we're on a, uh, a, a similar wavelength tonight because, you know, like I was getting ready to ask you about the Richard Nixon. You already had that. I actually was going to ask you to tell that story. Uh, that's what I wanted to end with tonight. I heard you tell that story on the, uh, the rock and roll twilight zone. Uh, I, th I don't think it was the first episode, but it was a couple of episodes in maybe it might've been the first one because you were telling how you and Gary had planned that, but you told that story. It wasn't quite as in depth as you just told it, yeah. but it sent chills down my spine to, to hear that story when you told it. And we just, our very last episode that we put out before doing this was on harbingers of death on people who showed up to friends or loved ones at the time of their death in some type of a spiritual form. And that happened with Napoleon. He actually showed up at his mother's house in front of two or three people uh, and said that he had been basically relieved of his, of his uh, uh, pressures Excellent. of life. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and we told three or four stories like that of military stories and what have you. Uh, so, and I remembered uh, when I had you set up to come on, I remembered that story and I thought this would be a really good story to tell and without me even asking you, you went into that story. So, well, I can't talk about the rock and roll twilight zone without talking about Gary. Um, Cause you know, that was our show. And um, what happened very quickly was after he died and I'm flying home from the funeral and I'm thinking, what do I do now? Um, do I just leave it? And I thought, no, I think Gary, I think Gary would want me to, to continue on with this. So I reached out to Chris Jericho because he knew Gary. He was his last interview with him. And um, uh, Chris Jericho was in Toronto. He said, I'll be in Toronto in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. I don't remember. And I ended up meeting him at his hotel room at the Royal York Hotel. And um, I told him that story. And I told him about what, you know, that I think I'd like to do a podcast version of our radio show. And he was sold on it immediately. And and then um, that's it. We did it for 40, roughly 40 episodes. Richard, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, I, I thank you for all the hours of entertainment you've given me over the years. And uh, I want to point out before I before I get you off here, my favorite episode of Rock and Roll and Twilight Zone was when you had uh, Joseph Niz Nizgoda on and talking about the Lennon prophecy. Yes. And you had Chip Coffee on the same episode talking about uh, Mark David Chapman and everything that went on there it was stuff I had never heard before. And I am a Beatles freak. And, and Chip Coffey told me stuff about, you know, the, the young lady who had had visits with Mark David Chapman as, as a child and the possible demon in their life. And I mean, just things I had never heard before. And like I said, I, I, I just want to uh, thank you for introducing me to stuff like that, that, uh, that were things that I didn't know about people that I absolutely love and uh you know like i said I, i'm always going to be a big fan of yours and i oh. it's an honor having you on the show 
Jerry, that means so much to me. Um, I, I feel like I agree. I think we're on the same wavelength and, and um, you've been so kind and gracious and thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about, uh, talk about Gary again, because um, he was a dear friend he's missed. And uh, uh, this is a, a wonderful opportunity to, you know, to regale and to remember him again, all over again. Thank you. You're welcome. Tell everybody again how they can keep track of uh, Strange Planet and your social media. Uh, the best thing to do is just go to strangeplanet.ca. That's my website. And and um, uh, you can you can stream the podcast right there. I mean, it's available everywhere, Spotify and, and so forth. Um, but you can subscribe there at strangeplanet.ca or you can stream it from there, my YouTube channel, um, which is pretty active. There's usually, well, my podcast, uh, the, the video version of my podcast is up there and then I live stream once a month. The YouTube channel is Strange Planet. You can connect there through the uh, the website again as well. It's uh, strangeplanet.ca. That's the best way. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Jerry. All the best. God bless.